she had one of those nights. Just laughing at the wrong jokes, inserting herself into conversations at the wrong time. She was not friendly enough with the right girls and too friendly with the wrong guys. And just had a terrible evening. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... Will you join me for a word of prayer? <laughs> Blessed Heavenly Father, we come to this place and are so privileged to hear the word of our salvation. The knowledge of your promises is, is priceless and precious. But Lord, we need help hearing it. Bless us in this time with a true reception of your word. May I speak words that come from you. And may all that is not of you simply disappear. But all that is of you, of you grow in our lives and help us become who you wish us to be through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, it is impossible to get a good answer to a bad question. Impossible to get a good answer to a bad question. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Two young ladies were getting ready to go out for their first social evening as college students. And uh, one of them in particular was extremely nervous. She was a little socially awkward. And um, she just was worrying about everything that night. How was she going to set her hair? How was she going to wear her makeup? Did she wear the green dress or the blue dress? Um, and she went around and around with her roommate. And they, just, they, they spent hours getting ready. And finally they went out. And um, did you ever have one of those times when your anxiety about something made the situation worse when you arrived? She had one of those nights. Just laughing at the wrong jokes, inserting herself into conversations at the wrong time. She was not friendly enough with the right girls and too friendly with the wrong guys. And just had a terrible evening. So as she and her roommate are walking home, her roommate looks at her and says, Phew, that was a disaster, huh? She says, yeah. Do you think I should have worn the green dress? (laughs) If you ask the wrong question, you're not going to find the right answer. (laughs) And that is what was going on in the church of Jesus Christ at the time of the Reformation. At the time that Martin Luther was born, in many ways the church was struggling with the wrong question. It was, had it always struggled, right back to scriptural times, with the relationship between 
faith, work, faith that is believing and trusting in the promises of God and the works that you ought to see the people of God engaged in. How did those relate to one another? Well, by the time uh, of the High Middle Ages, they had come largely to believe that it was faith plus works equals salvation. Now, uh, one of my favorite comedians, uh, Rita Rudner, she talked about how, um, how adding one ingredient can change everything. And she, was, she, she made a lot of jokes about how she didn't know how to cook very well. And so she said, why is it that when you take flour and add water, you get glue? But when you take flour and water and add sugar, you get cake. <laughs> One ingredient can make a huge difference in the recipe. And that's what happened to the Christian understanding when you made it faith plus works. Because once you make that the formula, the question becomes, what works? How many works? How much do I have to like the works as I'm doing them? So that by the time Martin Luther was born, the ultimate act of Christian faith was thought to be to make a perfect confession. To, with your confessor, list off every sin you had ever committed and then die before you could get out of bed and commit another sin. <laughs> That's a rather gloomy view of how Christian faith works. So, Luther, and he wasn't the first. There were many other scripture scholars, including some who were very uh, close to Luther, close enough that they argued the way that only academics can argue, came to the conclusion, as they studied scripture, that what was needed for salvation, first of all, we did need salvation, because... We couldn't be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, and that was, in fact, Jesus' injunction. So we needed a Savior, we needed salvations, and what was required was that we trust that Christ had done all that was needed for us to have eternal life. Our scripture passage today from Romans talks about this, right? I can get my page open. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus is for all who believe there is no distinction. The faith that saves us is just trust in the promises of God in the work of Jesus Christ. But then that led to further confusion. Because the Reformation slogan of salvation through faith alone came to be understood as faith with no works at all attached. And the accusation went back and forth. That, well, you're saying Christians don't have to live a transformed life. And that was not at all what those reformers intended to teach. Yes, we are saved by faith alone. You don't have to add works. If you come to faith on your deathbed, you are not required to get out of bed and go do something in order to be saved. But, the faith that saves is never alone. Let me say that again. 
We are saved by faith alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that trusts in the promises of God through Jesus Christ draws you to follow after that Christ and live the way He teaches you to live. Not because you're hoping to gain something by it at the judgment seat, but rather because you know you will gain by it in the manner of your life right now. This is what discipleship means. These, uh, these youth were wonderful on Friday night. I was so proud of all of them. They, uh, they were great. I, I, I wasn't sure if I was a good teacher or they were just listening well. But they, they answered everything as we went through a review of two years worth of classes. And I asked, what's a disciple? Hand immediately went up and it was... I'm putting them on the spot. They said it on Friday night. One who follows after. This is what all this discipleship talk is about. It's about following after Jesus because that is how our lives are made rich and wonderful. Wouldn't you like to have a life where like we just sang in that opening hymn, everything could be taken away from you and you would know that you are still secure? Where you could lose your job. Where you could lose someone you love. And know that both they and you are absolutely okay. And that something better is coming. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't if you walked into one of those social situations not worrying about how you were going to fit in because you know you'd already been accepted by the Lord of the universe and any mistakes you might make that night were already covered by the blood of Christ. That you knew how to act in those situations and in the rest of your life because you were following the one who had loved you enough to see himself nailed to a cross. That is what discipleship is about. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundant. Becoming a disciple is about learning to live that life. Now I'm going to pick on you because I praised you. As we were standing outside, one of them said to me, uh, so, Pastor, is this the first graduation you've done at our church? Now, I know we're in robes and I know we're processing, but this isn't graduation. This is the start of the race. <laughs> we're in the starting blocks and there's a, there's a long race to run ahead. And now you've been equipped to begin your race. Each of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus are then called to abide in His Word, as Jesus said to us in today's reading. To, set, to be set free from slavery because you're following the One who can set you free. And when you do fall into it again and again, He sets you free again and again. Dallas Willard said this, about discipleship. Actually, he said this about the opposite. We'll call it non-discipleship. Because being a Christian, for all of us, is about more than just getting our get-out-of-jail-free card. You don't get your get-out-of-jail-free card at baptism carried around in your hip pocket and wonder when you have to produce it. You give, you're given that so you can have a transformed life right now. 
That's why Luther called baptism the daily sacrament, even though we're all only baptized once. If you don't take advantage of that great gift you've been given, here is what Dallas Willard says will happen, and he's right. He said, non-discipleship costs. It costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love. It costs faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. It costs hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It costs power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said He came to bring. The eternal gospel that the angel in Revelation proclaims is that we are saved by grace through faith that none may boast, in the words of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but that we are saved to live a life transformed by that grace. To learn to love new loves and learn how to truly love all those around us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, as we prepare to watch five young people affirm their faith, make a public commitment to follow after you, we ask that you bless all of us with that same conviction. Every day of our lives, let us rise from our bed and affirm our faith, affirm that you have claimed us through your sovereign grace in the waters of baptism, that you have declared us your children. And help us, Lord, to make our agenda for that day your agenda for that day so that the things of this world which we can think are so important which pressure us so badly can become the second or third or fourth priority and we can live that abundant life that you have given us not because we hope to earn by it but because we know we will be blessed by it. These things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence.